Welcome to episode 54 of Insects for Fun, the podcast where every Tuesday we look at something cool in the world of entomology. Today, I want to really dive into the topic of parasitoids, which is something we've been mentioning a lot in the most recent episodes, and it was the focus of my research in graduate school. Parasitoids come in many shapes and sizes, but most often they're either wasps or flies. That being said, there are exceptions, which I will get into later in the episode. For now, I want to explain the two main types of parasitoids and what they do. First up are endoparasitoids. These insects develop inside their host's body, which results in death of the host and complete metamorphosis for the parasitoid. Ectoparasitoids live on the outside of a host's body and feed directly on it, which ends in the death of the host. I've mentioned before, but the difference between a parasite and parasitoid is what happens to the host. For example, parasites need to keep their food source alive to continue living, or else they'll die too. Parasitoids, on the other hand, use the life of their host to further their own development, and it always results in death. You guys know the movie Alien, right? The one by Ridley Scott, which features Sigourney Weaver as the main actress? Well, that entire franchise is based on if humans had a parasitoid in the form of an extraterrestrial. I mentioned this in the Just Bugs collab episode, so I won't go into much detail here other than y'all should really watch the movie if you're sci-fi horror fans. So now we have endo and ectoparasitoids, but we can even further divide them by how long they let their host live. For example, most endoparasitoids are called coinobionts, and this means that the parasitoids let their host live and continue feeding off of them as they grow, until the host is ready to pupate. I wish I knew why they gave it this term, but unfortunately I could not find anything in regards to the etymology of coinobion. Ectoparasitoids, on the other hand, are the opposite, and they need to paralyze and or halt the development of the host immediately upon consumption, or they risk losing it. These are referred to as idiobionts. The most commonly found parasitoids are wasps, of which there are around 50,000 different families, which means there is an estimated 1 million different parasitoid wasp species. The thing is that many of these wasps are incredibly small, and no one would ever know they're around unless they have some knowledge of entomology or are breeding insects. Something else to consider is that different parasitoids target different stages of development within a host. The parasitoids I focused on in my studies used eggs of butterflies and moths. And as you can imagine, those wasps are incredibly tiny. One family, known as Trichogrammatidae, is so small in fact that the only way I was able to identify them was to use a special slide mounting procedure and look at them under a microscope. As for how I collected them, I had to raise moths in a lab and then glue their eggs onto tiny pieces of paper, and then glue those pieces of paper on various plants across different mountains in Oahu. Something I learned is that parasitoid wasps like the color yellow, so I used yellow paper when gluing eggs. Then I would leave the eggs in the field for three days before going back to collect them and replace the paper with new eggs on the plants. If eggs of a butterfly or moth are parasitized, they often change color and turn dark. As the wasp gets closer and closer to emerging, 
the egg becomes clear and you can actually see the wasp inside. It's really cool to see and was very exciting for me as a researcher because it meant that my studies were actually working. But as I mentioned earlier, wasps are not the only insects with this alien-like life-stealing life cycle. Aside from wasps, there are flies, beetles, net-winged insects, and even butterflies whose larvae feed on other insects. Bruh. In general, it's safe to say that no insect is safe from a parasitoid because they've evolved to target every type of arthropod out there, even centipedes. But this is actually a good thing because parasitoids are our number one tool in biological control. Many people breed wasps and flies specifically to use on farms and in other areas to help control populations of unwanted pests. The downside is that back in the day, people were a lot more lenient about what parasitoids they would introduce, and many of them, as people discovered, will target far more than what they were introduced for. For example, the tachinid fly Compsilura consonata was introduced into the eastern half of the United States to eliminate gypsy moths. But the problem is that this fly is a generalist and its life cycle more closely follows other moth species, which means for people like me who love to breed giant silk moths, it is quite troublesome. But now that I'm in Japan, I actually don't have that problem anymore. During my years in undergrad, I was actually placed on a project to breed a different tachinid fly known as Cyzenus albicans with well-known entomologists Joseph Elkington and Jeff Bettner. The project was to release these flies across western Massachusetts to combat the invasive winter moth, which had been destroying many trees along the coast. Thankfully, the project was a success, and the flies have expanded their range and lowered the populations of winter moths in New England. When it comes to egg parasitoids, the most widely used would be the tiny wasps in the family Trichogrammatidae. The reason for this is because they're pretty straightforward to raise. We actually had a couple colonies of these going on in one of the labs I worked for at the University of Hawaii. Other common parasitoids for commercial use by farmers are larval and pupal parasitoids in the families Ichneumonidae and Braconidae. You might be thinking there isn't much left to cover on parasitoids. But uh, you'd be surprised. Parasitoids don't just kill the hosts they live in. Sometimes parasitoids can also reprogram the insects they live in to take care of their young. An incredible example of this comes from the larval parasitoid Galiptopantiles, which targets cabbage butterflies. Once the larvae have finished developing inside the caterpillar's body, they all exit the caterpillar at once, and it really looks like something straight out of a horror film. Then, the caterpillar proceeds to stay alive like a zombie and protect all the wasp pupae from other insects until its death. The wasp larvae excrete special glue, which actually heals the caterpillar upon exiting, so it can remain alive long enough to ensure their survival. Another wacky example of this kind of host manipulation comes from a fly known as Apocephales borealis. This fly targets honeybees, bumblebees, and paper wasps, and it causes the host to abandon its hive or nest in the middle of the night, where it proceeds to die and provide an escape for the new generation of parasitoid flies. But wait, there's more! I do actually have one more topic to cover on this episode. And that would be the existence of hyperparasitoids. Remember earlier when I mentioned that no insect, or arthropod for that matter, is safe from a parasitoid? Well, guess what? Parasitoids aren't safe either. 
there are insects that have co-evolved to hijack the larvae of parasitoids in an act called hyperparasitization. And there can be many layers to this. Think of these as Russian nesting dolls, where the first is the host, the second is the primary parasitoid, and everything beyond that are hyperparasitoids. It's totally crazy. But that's exactly why entomology is so interesting. That wraps up today's topic on parasitoids. As always, if you enjoy the show, please consider rating it and leaving a review if you can on whatever platform you listen. It helps build the show's credibility and grow the insects for fun family. If you'd like to support the show and help keep it afloat, you can find me on patreon.com forward slash insects for fun, where I have monthly bonus episodes, polls, and vlogs available. In the future, I also plan to sell live insects, but that'll have to wait until I get more settled into a permanent residence. Links to the Instagram, Facebook page, and Patreon, as always, are in the show notes. And thanks again for listening.